2: We find out how Brexit could be changing the way that
3: Brits eat. If you're not getting your food from the European Union, where Britain gets 30% directly, well, where are you going to get it from? As I put very succinctly, bye-bye fresh peaches from Italy, hello tinned peaches from Florida. Bye-bye fresh oranges, hello tinned oranges. Bye-bye free-range beef, hello hormone-injected beef.
2: Tune in to hear about the UK's struggle to stabilize its food system on Meat and 3, HRN's Weekly Food News Roundup, available wherever you listen to
1: podcasts.
3: Hello, this is Diane Stemple on Cutting the Curd on Heritage Radio Network, and this month I have the pleasure of interviewing Kate Johnson, author of Tiny Goat Big Cheese. Hello, Kate. Hi, Diane. Nice to talk to you. Yes, very nice to talk to you.
4: And you're in Hawaii. I am. I know it's a rough life as it, a cheese making instructor. <laughs> it is.
3: I feel really sorry for you cuz it is a totally gray awful day <laughs> in New York. Uh I mean, I guess it's not snowing, but it's yeah. You know, pretty dark and gloomy. <laughs>
4: Yes. Well, back home where I live most of the year in Colorado, it is very snowy, so I'm extra happy not to be there (laughs) at the moment.
3: (laughs) Okay. So it was such a pleasure reading your book. Uh, Oh, thanks. As I was preparing my interview questions, I realized you had divided the book into three parts, yearning, learning, and earning. Did you Mm -hmm. do that at first or at the end?
4: Well, it's really ironic because it came to me at the end that I had these three logical sections. And then when I figured out that those great rhyming words perfectly fit it, I was pretty (laughs) delighted. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I was pretty amazed
3: also when I saw it. And I hadn't put it that way in my head, but it makes total sense for the book.
4: Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm glad that you felt that way because I was pretty delighted when I I made that little realization. (laughs) And it really did just kind of happen out of the blue. I was like, oh, these three sections would work great.
3: (laughs) Okay. So anyway, this is the story of Kate Johnson deciding with her husband and two girls to move from Boulder and start possibly living on a farm.
4: That's right. We were, we had, we'd moved around Boulder County a bit, so we had lived in Boulder and then in Louisville and then in Superior, all little suburbs of the Boulder-Denver area. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then we moved out to the country, and it was, it was quite a change, but it was sort of a dream come true.
3: Okay. Now, when did you realize you had correctly picked the right husband who would listen <laughs> to your dreams?
4: Oh, that is a great question, because I have so many friends who are like, how did you get him to do that? (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. You you know, it started very early on. In fact, it was when we were first dating and we were pretty serious at this point, but we um, got the chance to farm sit for a friend of mine when she got married and went on her honeymoon. Mm
2: -hmm. And
4: so that was kind of our first chance together to live on, you know, just a small little farmette. And we both just loved it so much that it was pretty clear early on that if we could figure out a way to do it, that we would both really love to do that. So maybe that's why I ended up marrying him. I don't know.
3: (laughs) Well, it was a smart decision. So let's discuss first what went into the yearning part.
4: Well, you know, it's kind of funny because although the book is called Tiny Goat, Mm-hmm. Big cheese and the goats did eventually become a very big part of my story. The yearning really started with horses, mm-hmm. and I often joke that it really started with uh, an event that most people might think would be negative, which is when I was seven years old, I fell off a horse. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you wouldn't think that would start you yearning for having a horse or living in the country, but. Uh, somehow it did. I I fell off this horse on a public trail ride, and rather than being scared by it, I became completely enamored with the horse because she stopped and waited for me <laughs> when I fell off, <laughs> and I just and it didn't hurt.
3: And it, no, didn't, it hurt? didn't hurt. Okay. It
4: didn't. I just fell into a bush, and I was fine. And um, but I remember that very clearly as being the beginning of. Just this powerful yearning to be out, out in the country, and mostly riding horses, but Mm -hmm. the countryside and Mm -hmm. all of that. Just as a very young child, just Mm -hmm. you know, we lived in the city, and I would just look out the window on highway drives and just yearn for being out in the country. So Mm -hmm. that's really where it started.
3: (laughs) Now, also, um, Belle is a very important character in the book. Yes. Now, and can you tell me our, a little about about her, meeting her?
4: Yes. Well, um, I was lucky enough to have my own horse as a teenager and young adult. Mm-hmm. And then that horse died suddenly. And it was at a time it didn't make any sense to get another horse. And so I went for almost 20 years without having horses in my life. Oh, and then no. That's I, a long yes, time. It is a long time. And... um you know i rode a little here and there but then i had these two precious daughters and when they started to get ironically to about that 7 year age mark um the oldest one started asking to ride horses
2: mm-hmm. and so
4: that's where miss bell enters the story and she was a lease horse mm-hmm. we um actually leased her for my daughter and then we ended up and getting her And when did our- you
3: live um in Boulder still when you leased yeah, her? Yeah, we were
4: actually, at that time, we were living in Superior, which mm-hmm. is right outside of Boulder. So, okay. yeah, we were, we were living in a subdivision, mm-hmm. and, and she was on a farm in, in near Boulder. Mm-hmm. And we just leased her and got to ride her, you know, a few times a week. Mm-hmm. And that was really where Belle enters the story. And boy, did she become a powerful presence in our yes. lives. Yes.
3: Now, wasn't she pretty old when you met her?
4: She was. In fact, I remember the first day we went to look at her and she was, oh my goodness, I think she was 19 years old already at that point. And and kind of
3: raggedy, right?
4: Pretty raggedy and really, really lazy. Like it was hard to get her to move at all. Um, But you know, she was gentle, and she was sweet, and we were just beginning, and I, the price was right, and it wasn't a long-term commitment, so I mm-hmm. was like, well, let's give it a try and see how it goes, mm-hmm. and we learned that it just took, you know, understanding this mare to mm-hmm. um, have her be, like, just the best the best horse, but yeah, she was pretty old at that time, but um, as... As you know from reading the book, she got a lot older. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yes. Now, now, can you tell, do you think all horses that you take and love are going to grow into Bell, or do you think Bell was oh, special?
4: No. no. In fact, in, in the story of my childhood, I talk about that first horse I had and the mistake I made of thinking that if you just love them enough, they'll be They'll, they'll be, be kind good. and sweet. Yeah, and instead he became dangerous. He was <laughs> you know, he needed a lot more discipline <laughs> than I was giving him. <laughs> um so but I do think all animals and I mean all living things do certainly respond to love and to you know, respect mm-hmm. I think is mm-hmm. even more important than mm-hmm. love.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: Um and and Bell was definitely no exception to that. And some of it is just understanding where they're coming from. Mm-hmm. We used to always joke that Belle's favorite speed was woe. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, so, and,
3: and your daughter learned woe early and Belle responded.
4: Yes. And that <laughs> made her a wonderful child's horse because, you know, you didn't get in too much trouble with her because once she started getting frustrated or didn't know what you wanted, she just Stopped. <laughs>
3: uh huh. Uh huh. Now, another thing you did early in the book was you visited Haystack Mountain. Um, yes. And I think one of my mentors worked there for a period of time, Peter Kendall. Did you meet him?
4: No, um, I didn't. And at the time when we first met um, Haystack, we really were just meeting the goats. We right. weren't meeting the cheese people at all at uh-huh. that point. Um, It was many years later that I got involved with them on a cheese level. Mm -hmm. Um, But at the time we met them, they still had their own goats um, Mm -hmm. right there in Boulder County. And we just went to visit the goats.
3: And that was instrumental in, in your process also
4: definitely because i saw you know my kids i think the daughters were 3 and 6 at that point mm-hmm. and just seeing them out in the country and feeding little bits of grass to these cute little baby goats oh it just made me yearn even more to <laughs> to give them that childhood i had always wanted
3: uh-huh now do you think they totally love that you've given them their childhood
4: well, I think now, you know, they're 20 and 23 now, so uh-huh. have they now look back at it and think it was pretty awesome, uh-huh. and I would say most of the time that they were living it, they thought it was pretty awesome, too, but, you know, there were a few years in there, maybe mm-hmm. in the, the teenage years, where they right. thought that it was a little weird. The thing <laughs> is, we weren't that far from town, you know, right. we were only mm-hmm. 10 or 15 minutes from town. Um But I think now they would say that was a pretty ideal upbringing. Mm
3: -hmm, mm -hmm. So what do you do first to make money on the farm in in the learning part, in the learning part?
4: Yeah. Well, you know, I I often joke that buying property in Boulder County is not an easy task. And when we bought the farm, we had money for the farm, but we didn't have anything left over for the animals. (laughs) Okay. So the gig was that the animals were going to have to all earn their keep. And so, obviously, since the first thing I knew about was horses, um, Belle, Belle was, ended up moving to the farm with us, mm-hmm. and she became a lesson horse at the ripe old age of 21 or 22, <laughs> <laughs> and I started teaching riding lessons on Belle, and then eventually we got another horse, and then we got another horse, and I started running summer camps on mm-hmm. the farm. And that mm-hmm. was really how the animals paid their keep. Was okay. By, by by being camp animals.
3: Now Skittles was uh, instrumental, also.
4: Yes. Your yes. first goat. Yes. Tell so, us about Skittles. Yeah. Well, Skittles was the the way the whole goat thing came about. You would think it would it would have been immediate after that haystack visit. But we started with the horses and it, because I knew horses, I mm-hmm. didn't really know anything about goats at mm-hmm. that time. Mm-hmm. And then one of my students had goats and they, invited my riding students and, and her mom invited us over to baby, to bottle feed the baby goats. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that was just the beginning of the whole goat saga. <laughs> so we decided, <laughs> I often say, you know, you don't bottle feed a baby goat and think you're not getting goats if you live on a farm. <laughs>
3: Why? Because you fall in love?
4: Oh my gosh, they're the cutest creatures you've ever seen. Yes. So we decided we would try our hand at goats, but I didn't know much about goats. And so did some research and recruited this friend of mine who had introduced us to the goats to teach us and become our goat mentor. Mm -hmm. And so we decided we would start with I wanted to start with a small goat because my kids were small. Mm-hmm. And so, but we liked Nubians because they have those long, floppy ears, which mm-hmm. is such a great reason, right? <laughs> <To get that. laughs> well, they're cute. <laughs> <laughs> they are cute, yes. Um, so we found this small Nubian, and that was Skittles. Mm-hmm. And we figured we would breed her to a Nigerian dwarf, and then we would have what are known as mini Nubians. Mm, and okay. so that's how Skittles enters the picture and that's why these initial goats were kind of tiny.
3: Okay so but Skittles doesn't cooperate um, by getting pregnant very quickly.
4: No it took her a little while so we had to wait and wait and wait Mm -hmm. and part of the problem was that the buck's was smaller than her, oh. so you can you oh, can did kind you of switch. See the,
3: did you the switch the
4: mechanics of that? Oh, <laughs> yeah. okay. Yeah. So oh, because you
3: wanted the the small babies.
4: Exactly. Oh, so it took okay. a few tries. Did you? Did you have to
3: change husbands
4: <laughs> for her? Yes, for her. <laughs> Yes, although at this time we didn't have her yet, she was still at the farm we bought her from. So they were doing the breeding,
3: right? <clears throat> and they right.
4: just had to switch partners. Yeah. Oh, okay, okay. So, <laughs> but finally, she she was bred, and then we got to go go and get her.
3: Okay, so we have to take a break. We'll be back soon with Kate Johnson and more uh, goats and cheese. and talking about, uh, what's the name of the book, uh, Tiny Goat, Big Cheese. And uh, so so Skittles uh, eventually gets pregnant, and does she come to the farm after that?
4: Yeah, so as soon as she was what they call <clears throat> being settled... Um, We went to pick her up, and so then she was at the farm for most of the five months of her gestation period. We probably had her for the last four and a half months. Mm -hmm. And then she had her first babies that spring on Mm -hmm. our farm.
3: Okay. Now, was that incredibly exciting?
4: Oh, my gosh, it was so exciting. But we also were pretty new at it, and we didn't quite know how it would all unfold. And it unfolded much slower than we thought it would. <laughs> and you there must was a
3: have been of, nervous. It must have been we, tense.
4: We were a little nervous, but we were also really excited. And we did have um, our friend Melanie, this, this goat mentor of ours, on standby to oh. help if we had any problems. Was and, she there? <laughs> Um, She did come, but she, too, waited for Uh a while and watched. And then right after she left, the babies came out. (laughs) (laughs) And they came out pretty quickly once they came. Uh But it was a lot of waiting and watching.
3: Right. Now, uh, one of the adorable parts of the book is your blurb called Art Imitates Life, where you hear your daughters pretending to have playing, having a goat <laughs> baby, and the yes. little one is having the baby, and the older sister is being the doctor, and it's hilarious.
4: I know. They played those kind of games all the time. I would hear farmer's market game stories and uh-huh. goat show stories, uh-huh. <laughs> yes. So, and because of course Skittles having those babies was not the first set of babies we had, because mm-hmm. then those babies have babies, and then Skittles had babies again, and then right. pretty soon you have, you know. So they did witness a lot of goat birth in their childhood. <laughs> <laughs> and they got pretty good at it.
3: And that's when you got the goat milk and started making cheese, correct?
4: Exactly. Yeah. Yes, that's how it started. <laughs> And, and
3: Skittles, I have to point out, you decided to name all of Skittles' babies, of, of which there are many, with candy names because her name was Skittles.
4: Exactly. And that was so much fun because there are a lot of candies out there. <laughs> So every time we'd be at the grocery store, we'd be looking in the candy section thinking of, oh, we could have a goat named Milky Way and Snickers and Hershey. And, yeah, so we we had an awful lot of fun with that name theme.
3: Now, when do you separate the babies to get the goat milk uh, yourself?
4: Well, so there's a number of ways you can do it. um, But eventually, at about three months, the Babies would be fully weaned, and then you would have the milk now sometimes you'd get the milk a lot sooner than that because, um in a lot of cases, the mama is producing more milk than the babies really need at the mm-hmm. beginning
3: mm-hmm. and
4: so then you're kind of sharing milk mm-hmm. okay, and if you're Helping to, to keep her milk supply up, there'll be enough for babies and for you. But once the babies are weaned, that's when you really start having a lot of milk on your hands. Okay. <laughs> because, you know, if you keep milking them, they keep producing.
3: Right. Now, was cheese making your number one activity or was teaching people how to make cheese?
4: Your well, number one? ironically, Neither of those were really on my radar when we first started other than that I thought it would be fun to make some cheese.
2: Mm-hmm. Um
4: but initially I was really we didn't even make cheese for about oh about a year cuz I didn't know how to make cheese.
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs> so mm-hmm.
4: I started by making other things that seemed a little bit easier, like soap. We made a lot of goat milk soap and Mm. goat milk lotions. And um, eventually I did learn to make cheese and I was just planning to make it for my family, you Mm -hmm. know, because Mm -hmm. we had a goat. Mm -hmm. But inevitably over time. <laughs> it just happened that I started teaching. It seems that I always start teaching whatever it is I'm learning.
3: <laughs> right, right. Now, how did you progress in terms of making better and better cheese versus teaching about cheese? Which,
4: yeah, you know, which well, came first? I yeah I started with um you know learning myself and just learning the simpler cheeses you know Chev the classic soft goat cheese is mm-hmm. about the easiest cheese in the world to make um and then you know i I started progressing and learning a few more cheeses. And then just some friends asked me to teach them, and that's kind of how it started, really casually in my kitchen. Mm. And I think at that time, I only knew about two or three different cheeses, Mm -hmm. so I taught those. Um, And when I would get kind of bored with that cheese, I would just learn a new one. And usually I learned just by, you know, getting a book and and getting some ingredients and 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 trying it myself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and... And then the teaching just sort of was a really side thing as a hobby for a couple of years.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: But it, it was a hobby that seemed to want to grow. <laughs> as with many really, of your hobbies. Yes, yes, this is kind of how it goes. And, you know, usually I'm pretty open to exploring new opportunities. So I just um, kept learning myself. And eventually when I could see that, that, you know, the classes were really something people were interested in, I got some formal training so Mm -hmm. that I would know a little bit more so I could teach a little bit more.
3: Okay. Okay. So I have a bunch of just uh, weird questions that I want to ask.
4: (laughs) I love weird questions.
3: (laughs) Okay. (laughs) How did you homeschool your second daughter when you were already so
4: busy? (laughs) <laughs> well, I often say she homeschooled herself because uh, that Is that point, allowed? <laughs> it, well, yeah, there's a lot of flexibility and especially at that point she was in high school by then. So, I don't know if any of you have ever had teenage daughters. There's not a whole lot of leading that you're doing at that point. <laughs> uh. So, you know, a lot of it was just coming up with, um, there's a lot of creativity now in the homeschooling world. You know, I think people traditionally thought of it as being, you know, a curriculum that you're the parent doing the teaching, but... Definitely, by high school. I mean, she was taking some college-level classes. Mm -hmm. She was actually taking class at her local high school Mm part-time, and then a lot of self-directed study. You know, Mm -hmm. she was doing some online coursework, and she was doing um, some work with a professional writing coach, and things like that. So really, I didn't have to supervise that as much as you might think.
3: Okay. Okay.
4: So uh, one
3: (laughs) one other question is how big
4: is Longmont? Uh, Longmont is about 90,000 people. So it's a pretty good-sized town. Oh, okay. Yeah, just this past year, we um, were noted as being the fastest-growing city in the country, which oh. I'm not sure if that's a good thing. For <laughs> that might be a
3: bad states, thing. But <laughs>
4: yes. But, huh. um, yeah, so we're, we're considered Longmont even though we're not in the city of Longmont. Right. We're, we're technically an unincorporated Boulder County, mm-hmm. but our closest little burg is Longmont. Okay. And what does your husband do? Well, my husband is an atmospheric scientist, and he is also an engineer. Mm. Um, What's an atmospheric
3: scientist?
4: Well, that is somebody that studies all different levels of the atmosphere. Um, His was mostly the outer atmosphere, and that's what brought us to Colorado because the National Center for Atmospheric Research, NCAR, is located in Boulder. Ah, okay. Yes. So that's that's where he he started, and he's moved around a bit, and was uh, worked at the University of Colorado, and now he works for Aerospace Corp.
3: So he goes to work.
4: Well, he does, although (laughs) his current position—yes, he has a real job, as we call it. (laughs) Um, Although I well, I hoped
3: somebody did. (laughs) (laughs)
4: Yes, exactly. And it allowed me to have a little more flexibility in Mm -hmm. my my earning potential for a while here. But Mm -hmm. his current job, actually, he works from home, but Mm -hmm. he works for a company.
3: Oh, okay. Okay. Now, how many classroom moves did you have to make? Because once you started teaching, it seemed like every six months or a year you had to
4: move. Yes, well, part of when I decided to actually, you know, I had been doing this teaching as a hobby for, Mm -hmm. oh, maybe three or four years. Mm -hmm. And when I decided to really open formally as a cheese making school and I wrote a business plan and and part of what I realized was the only way I was going to make it really viable was to keep my rent costs as low as possible. Mm -hmm. And so we were doing a lot of shared type of classroom settings. Mm Mm -hmm. And um, so the first place when we opened, we knew that that lease was going to be up within four or five months. But it was a great deal, and it was a good place to just start.
2: Mm -hmm. Um,
4: So that that was our first move was when that lease was up, we moved to another shared location. Mm -hmm. And then we were were planning to stay there for a while, but um, we had the good fortune of Haystack Mountain, coming back full circle, right. um, they they were actually opening and building a new creamery in town.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: And they actually offered us to um, build a space within the creamery for us to come and have our classroom there.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: So that move happened just because it was such a great opportunity. right? And then we actually stayed with them for three and a half years. Oh, so okay. we were there for quite a while. Yeah, um, but, but then you happily but, moved...
3: Did you, is, at that point, did you move to your house?
4: Well, so there was a little interim um, awkwardness <laughs> with that move. <laughs> of uh, course. Yes. Yeah, so well, they decided they were going to consolidate their two creameries in town, and we had very short notice that this was going to happen, and they um, they we lost that classroom space in the process, uh-huh. and so um, and, and were you was, in
3: Hawaii then?
4: Yes, <laughs> I was. It was a year it ago. Was about this, yes, it was about this time last year, and I got the news while I was here that uh-huh. I was going to have to move the day I got back. <laughs> that is a so rather
3: uh, rather short notice.
4: <laughs> it was a little short notice, yes, but, you know, we we were flexible. Uh-huh. So we, but we did have to do a little scrambling, and mm-hmm. so we went back to a, another a shared location, Um, It was actually the same building we had been in before, although being run by a different company at that point. Mm -hmm. And so we did that for a few months. But um, at that time, it was just really evident that the goats were as big a part of the cheese making story, even though not all of our cheeses are made with goat milk. Mm -hmm. We teach lots of cheeses that are just made with grocery store cow milk. Mm -hmm. But the goats... You know, where it's such an appealing part of the story, and people loved coming to the farm to see the goats, and so I just decided at that point, it really would be a lot more fun to have the classroom on the farm. Mm -hmm. So we we built our garage. (laughs) We did. (laughs) We pretty much gave up the garage, and it became a dedicated teaching space, which is just great.
3: So that's where you are now. Yes, so okay. that's
4: our our home location now, but of course, then I travel a bit, so right now I'm in Hawaii getting ready to make um to run two big cheese making retreats here um and those will be taught in what we've done is rented some um like airbnb mm-hmm. type of big, fancy houses <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and then we'll hold the classes at the at the houses
3: now is that? Affiliated with a Hawaiian cheesemaker, or are you just there because everyone wants to go there, or?
4: Yeah, so a little <laughs> bit of both. I mean, I I set up the retreat and mm-hmm. I've done you know all of the marketing for it, but mm-hmm. because we are here on the island where there are some great um, cheesemakers. Mm-hmm. We are um, going to be, well, we're going to have a, a wine and cheese reception and we'll be featuring Hawaiian cheeses mm-hmm. from some of these creameries here. And then we'll also be sourcing some of our milk from, right. from some of the locals.
3: I don't think I've ever tasted Hawaiian cheese.
4: Yeah, you know, it's it's a lot like everybody's cheese, but maybe you get a little bit of the terroir. <laughs> uh-huh. in the, you know, I often say you, you you can pick up sometimes a little more of the salt air here uh-huh. and, and, of course, some of the flavor options, and that's a big part of what will make this retreat really fun is it's going to be, you know, traditional recipes, but where we're doing some really fun flavorings with local wow. Um like what uh, products. Oh, I've been having so much fun going to all these little farmers markets and and gift shops. So, for instance, when we do burrata at home, which is of course mozzarella filled with something creamy mm-hmm. on the inside, mm-hmm. we top it with a nice herb salt and olive oils. But mm-hmm. here, we're going to top it with uh, smoked lava salt and macadamia nut oil.
3: Mm. Oh, that sounds good. So you good. know, we're
4: we're just doing kind of a Hawaiian twist right. for all of our recipes. Right.
3: Yeah. Okay. Oh, so macadamia nuts—that they're big in Hawaii. <laughs> oh yes,
4: yes. So
3: um, now, do you have employees now?
4: So I do have a couple of um, instructors that work with me or mm-hmm. for me, or mm-hmm. I always say with me because mm-hmm. they're really more more partners than anything and they're um, so friends they're, yeah,
3: usually
4: they're friends so these these usually start as students so mm-hmm. people who i met coming up through the the ranks as as students and then um both these gals just um impressed me with their enthusiasm and mm-hmm. their you know uh commitment and hard work and so eventually when they knew as much as I did, or sometimes more, <laughs> they asked them to join me. So they're actually running the show back home. So I have two, um, two instructors back in Colorado, um, and I'm actually just getting ready to bring on a third instructor and maybe even an administrative assistant, which I'm Ooh, really
3: excited about. That, that would be nice.
4: <laughs> yes, I'm, <laughs> I'm finding I'm spread a little bit thin right now yes. because I'm trying to do it all.
3: <laughs> so what are your favorite cheeses to make?
4: Oh, you know, I get asked that question a lot, and I, I often will say, "Well, it depends. It depends okay. on how much time I have. Okay. When I'm when I'm too busy to make cheese, but I have a lot of goat milk on my hands, I make chèv mm-hmm. because chèv is just so easy, and it's so versatile, and it freezes well, and um, it, it's, it's just always one of my favorite cheeses. Anyhow, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. you can never have too much chèv on hand." um but some of the more fun cheeses to make um i really love making a real cheddar you know mm-hmm. with the full cheddaring process mm-hmm. because it's just it, it's neat mm-hmm. <laughs> you know <laughs> and then i would say my other cheese that i really enjoy are the bloomy rinds like mm-hmm. the brie and camembert mm-hmm. um because they're so they're so variable and they're fickle and mm-hmm. fun and mm-hmm. You never you know how exactly
3: really, they'll turn out.
4: Yeah, they 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 kind of have a little mind of their own, mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, um, and you have to do a little babysitting. But they're basically pretty easy. Mm-hmm. Um,
3: do you make them um, with cow's just, milk?
4: I've done, I do a lot of goat milk ones, of course, because I have a lot of goat milk. But mm-hmm. we do cow milk ones too.
3: Mm-hmm. Um, and what about and cheddar? Um, Is the cheddar goat or cow?
4: Cheddar, we do both. In fact, I kind of have a signature cheddar that I do in my classes. It's a tricolor cheddar. Mm. So we take a good quality cow milk, and in one batch, we leave it its natural creamy yellow color. Mm -hmm. And then one batch, we add the annatto to make it more your traditional orange cheddar. And then we'll do a batch of goat milk, which is very pure white. And then we'll blend those curds together. Oh, it makes the prettiest wheel of cheese.
3: That sounds phenomenal.
4: Oh, I'd love
3: to see that. Now, what are your favorite cheeses to eat not made by you?
4: Oh, well, I do have to say I love this cheese that's made out in Oregon by um, Beehive Cheese Company, I think is the name of it. Mm -hmm. And it's called Barely Buzzed. Ah, yes,
3: I know that one.
4: I love that cheese so much. And so I've tried to emulate it. You know? And what that has a
3: something on it, right?
4: Yeah, it has a rub. And it's mm. like, I think they use lavender, honey, and espresso.
3: Mm-hmm. Mm.
4: And it's applied on the outer edge as a rub. And so um, we do a lot of rubs in our classes. In fact, that's one of the things that's going to be fun here in Hawaii because I've gotten some really great like Kona coffee rubs and mm-hmm. things like that we mm-hmm. can add. But um but that is one I, I tried to imitate one time myself and it turned out pretty good. I okay. mean not quite as good as theirs, but
3: <laughs> Well, the first time also.
4: Yes, exactly.
3: <laughs> um now I do have a sad question.
4: Okay.
3: Um I wanna I want you to tell the story of Belle dying.
4: Oh yes, that's our teary chapter in the book. So yes. not to be a spoiler for anybody who's planning to read it, but um <laughs> Well, you know, it was a happy, sad ending. It's if you could well, write She was the very perfect, old. She was very old. She was almost 33 years old at that point,
3: mm-hmm. which
4: is very old for a quarter horse. You know, my vet says the life expectancy for a quarter horse is about 25.
3: Right. So, so she had she was, eight years extra.
4: She did, and so although I thought we were getting an old horse when we <laughs> met her at 19 and she came to live with us at 21, as you see, she lived quite a bit longer. <laughs> right. Um, but she had just been such a part of our family for mm-hmm. so long that, mm-hmm. you know, it's always going to be hard to say goodbye. But mm-hmm. with Belle, we could just, you know, we kept an eye on her and could see that as long as she was comfortable and happy, we were happy to keep her going in mm-hmm. her old age. She had mm-hmm. retired you know several years earlier, although I think we were still riding her up till she was about twenty eight twenty nine thirty uh-huh but um she just had started um losing weight really mm-hmm. rapidly, mm-hmm. and although we had checked all the obvious things, it was pretty clear that she was just going into a decline, and mm-hmm. we didn't really want her to starve herself to death. You Is know? that
3: what happens?
4: Well, it can, or something else happens like a, a fall or a colic episode or something that's pretty uncomfortable and traumatic, mm-hmm. and we just had kind of hatched a plan with our vet and with my two daughters. She was my oldest daughter's horse, um, you know, that when we got to a point where we felt like her quality of life wasn't good, that we would... Lovingly, you know, have Mm -hmm. her put down. Mm -hmm. And we were able to plan it and orchestrate it on a beautiful day. And we were able to bury her on our property. And Mm -hmm. it just, it was a very, everybody was there, you -hmm. know, it was Mm -hmm. a very. Everybody
3: important to her and.
4: Exactly. Who
3: loved her was there.
4: Mm -hmm. Exactly. But yeah, there was a lot of crying. Well, there,
3: (laughs) you know, your book just captures farming and and the spirit of living on a farm so well uh i just thank you encourage other people to read it Um,
4: you know i think one of the things about farm life that's been great for my kids and for me too Mm -hmm. is you do really get an appreciation for the circle of life
2: Mm -hmm. there's Mm -hmm.
4: births and there's deaths Mm -hmm. and it's all normal, right? It's part of, of the life cycle, but you see it a lot more when Mm -hmm. you have a lot of animals. Yes. And, um, and I think, you know, it doesn't ever necessarily make it easier, but you start to see the beauty in Mm -hmm. both. And I also feel like as you know, the, the keepers of these wonderful animals it's sort of our job to usher them in with love and respect and And usher usher them them out out. yeah, as as best Mm -hmm. we can Mm -hmm. with that same love and respect and and Mm -hmm. sense of ease, you know. Mm -hmm.
3: Mm -hmm. Well, thank you very much. Uh, It's been a a delight to talk to you and get to know you a bit. And uh, I want to thank you for writing this book, Tiny Goat and Big Cheese.
4: Well, thank you. And thank you so much for taking the time to read it and talk to me about it.
3: Thanks. Cutting the Curd is powered by Simplecast.
4: Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage radio network is a nonprofit organization
0: driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you.